This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Assalamu alaikum, hello, hola, and welcome to the second hour of Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Today we do have a very special guest with us in the studio who's going to be taking us on a journey through Sharjah's captivating history and culture through its myriad museums. Her Excellency Manal Altaya, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority, is going to be here talking the important role that museums play in shaping a people's story, how they ignite dialogue and exchange between countries and cultures and creating a more accessible experience for all. All of that and more is coming up right now on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. The historical and culturally rich city of Sharjah has kept its ancient culture and traditions alive by means of establishing a number of museums around the city. You probably have seen them. These museums depict the history of the Emirates in a spectacular way, which transports museum goers to a bygone era. Era, at places like the Sharjah Museum of Islamic Civilization, Sharjah Art Museum, Sharjah Archaeology Museum, and many more are famous throughout the world. The museums in Sharjah are family-friendly destinations that can be enlightening, not just for the adults, but educational as well for the kids too, to tell us more about what we can expect at Sharjah Museums. If you've been there, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are as well on uh, YouTube. We are live uh, as well. You can follow us there. But uh, I'm so, so pleased right now to be welcoming into the Life Beats studio Her Excellency, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority, Manal Taya. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. So great to have you. Now, um, as the director of Sharjah Museums, first of all, uh, let's clear this up for everybody. How many museums are there? Okay, so in the Emirate of Sharjah, um, there are technically 18 museums. Um, They cover a wide range of topics and diverse um, collections. We at the Sharjah Museums Authority manage 16 of those, and two others are managed by the Environmental um, Protective Agency um, because they relate to the natural history of of Sharjah. Um, For us, with the 16 museums, we have our hands full, of course, um, with quite a a lot of uh, different objects and um, and areas of interest, and they cover things such as archaeology, history, heritage, art, whether classic or contemporary, uh, calligraphy, um, science, classic cars, aviation. So it's it's pretty uh, diverse and exciting. I think for everyone out there will find something that will interest them. It is quite amazing. The number of uh, museums that there are and the number of things and interests yes. uh, and areas that they do cover. Uh, you, you need several trips to several museums to get through them all and you learn something new every single time, which is wonderful. Um, But tell me about why Sharjah has so many museums. Well, that answer is relatively easy. So um, His Highness himself, um, as many know, is a historian um, at heart. And 
His PhDs were mainly in geographical history of this Gulf region. So he has always been a very um, avid um, promoter of history and heritage mainly, but also, of course, of culture and arts in general, because they're all really interconnected and related um, uh, in in essence. So over the years, um, he has collected different uh, things of interest. First, oriental paintings um, that were he he thought were very interesting, and they are because they depicted a lot of wonderful architectural features and landscapes of the Levant region and Egypt and other parts of North Africa, which were painted by a lot of people from Europe at the time. Um, he also collected um, Islamic artifacts that you know he believed were very important to bring to Sharjah again to. To, to talk about the importance of the Islamic values that we have in Sharjah, but in the UAE, of course, as a whole, but also um, heritage-related material and the restoration of heritage houses and making sure that the history of Sharjah, the Qawasim tribe, and all that has happened in the past is um, documented, recorded, interpreted, and there for people to learn from. I mean, we have an aviation museum not just because... Of we like planes, but because Sharjah was the first airport in 1932 of the UAE. So a lot of our different museums are specific because they have a, a direct connection to the history of Sharjah itself. Um, and of course, art is one of them. Uh, calligraphy is, is huge as well as an Islamic art form. So that's where all the varieties happened. And as they grew, um, His Highness also was very aware that young children today need more um access to informal learning environments and that where they can learn outside the classroom and maybe learn topics that are, were not at that time introduced in schools was really important. So we really supplemented um, the education uh, 20 so years ago. And we're, we're continuing to do that actually in many places where kids are not getting um, some of the topics and subjects taught that we would like them to. We think that is important for them to learn. And that experience within the museums uh, then gets transported into the classroom as well, where it inspires a whole uh, a, a other way of uh, exploring and mm-hmm. learning as well. And then that brings in new subjects into schools as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, for example, for a good uh, f- a couple of years, we studied every single book of every grade level. I mean, literally page by page to make sure that we could make those connections with the curriculum. And it was unbelievable how many connections they were. It wasn't difficult to do. It was actually like, you can teach your entire syllabus of geography, for example, of seventh grade in three or four of our museums. We cover all of that depending on this topic or that. So teachers, you know, would come to us at open teacher days. We would explain to them and show them how you can bring children to the museum and they will have a different experience because there, there is a difference from learning from books um, in a classroom setting and then learning where you can vi- actually visually see and, and um, have your other senses um, stimulated because you're hearing stories, you're listening to someone tell you uh, a story about the history of something or the geography of the area. You get to smell. We have often um, um, items in the museum that you can smell, to herbs, and etc., and then see dioramas to you know really visualize how things might have been before, um, as well as see objects from that time. And I think that really can be something you remember more than um, maybe reading it in a book. I mean, I know personally, I'm just a visual learner. If I watch a documentary or watch a movie, I'll remember facts and data more than I would if I read it in a book. That's just the way I am. And I believe a lot of children learn in different ways. So it's important for them to have that uh, variation. 
Absolutely. Uh, I love that so much. But I want to kind of come to you and your story of um, how you became interested in art and culture and it became not only a passion for you, but a mission, you know, now as Director General of Sharjah Museums. Um, Yeah, I've I've been asked that question often, um, I think by people who are not at all related in the arts field. They always ask, you know... um, what what took you to that sort of area of work, especially when I started, which was about 13 years ago now. Um, and uh, museums were still um, in their early stages being built in a lot of parts of the region. And um, there were definitely weren't any programs for museum studies in, in this area. And um, I told a lot of people, it was honestly um, something that when I was younger, um, at the age of eight or 10, and I went to... The Natural History Museum in London, I always remembered that experience. I felt really um, excited by what I saw, things I had never seen before. And that's amazing. Particularly, the Natural History Museum, yes, isn't it? And particularly at that time I went, I went to see the dinosaur exhibition. And it was the first time I saw sort of life-size dinosaurs moving. And I thought, my God, this is amazing. It's like, if this is what museums are, then I want to go to them as much as possible. And I did over time. But uh, later, it was only later in when I was about 19, 20, and I started studying art in college because I always had an interest in art and I was a painter from a young age. Um, I started to go to art museums and then going to Paris and seeing art museums for the first time was a huge, um, uh, had a f- huge impact on me. And I realized that I saw spaces where people could be creative, where people could think about things in a different way, where nobody told you, at least when I was there, nobody said what your your answer or your idea for or your opinion about this is wrong. Everyone was very open about, yeah, it's all open to interpretation. It's what you think it is. It's what you feel. And I also felt there was just so many connections you could make with the things around you, and um, paintings or or sculptures you could look at and you could you could just there's a feeling this, you just get moved because you you somehow can connect to it because of something that it represents in your life um, or in your life experience and. I think that's what's so beautiful. Um, I think museums can be such a unique experience for everyone, and every experience is unique than from the other. Exactly, and uh, it's it's an experience that gets renewed. Yes, uh, you know, with the different exhibitions. Oh, absolutely. That I've visited the same museum, um, you know, ten, twenty times over, and every time I see something I didn't notice before, or something I would have ignored the first time, thinking, "Oh, I have no interest in this," but in a year or two, something's happened in my life that now, when I look at that object. Now it does have meaning for me. Yes. Um, and so that's also such a beautiful feeling. You, you start to continue to learn. And I think the greatest gift in life is to have the opportunity to continue to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Um, amazing. Well said. We're very well said. In the studio with us right now, we have uh, the pleasure uh, of uh, hearing from directly Her Excellency, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority, Talking museums, why are they important in our lives? Uh, the numerous museums that are here in Sharjah, the amazing uh, initiatives, the amazing programs and exhibitions that they have going on. Uh, so keep it right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95 for more. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. 95.
In conversation with Her Excellency Manal Ataya, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority. Um, and uh, I was just uh, telling you, uh, Your Excellency, that um, it's interesting because when I was younger, uh, I, I have a deep passion for art. Uh, and uh, when I was younger, I was about six years old when I first saw an exhibition by uh, the Palestinian artist Ismail Shamut. And it blew me away. I was about six and um, seeing his works because they're huge. Yes. Some of them are wall size. They're very powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. And, you know, he has the beautiful uh, women with the oud and, mm-hmm. you know, they in the beautiful thobs. But then he he also has the very, um, you know, the visceral mm-hmm. uh, uh, paintings that d- depict, uh, you know, life under occupation. Yes, exactly. And the conflict. Yeah. And so seeing that so young, I will never forget it. Um, and I know that Sharjah Museums had uh, an exhibition. Yes, recently. we did. Yeah, last year. Um, we have a Lasting Impression series, which is a very, I think, important um, exhibition that I would hope everyone if they ever make a time to come see the museums, try to see that one. Every year we uh, highlight an Arab artist, uh, one that is a, has an established career, usually 30 plus years have been working um, and basically have left a lasting impression, hence the name. Um, and I think it's an important exhibition because it really is a platform to support Arab artists in the region and internationally. Um, Ismail Shamut, for example, the late Ismail Shamut um, and his wife, uh, Tamam al-Akhal, who was here for the opening, uh, we both showed their work together for the first time um, at this scale. And it was really beautiful because, um, like you said, there's so much wonderful work that celebrates the Palestinian culture, its folklore, um, and the beauty of the landscape, but also at the same time highlights the plight of the Palestinian people, the Palestinian diaspora, uh, conflict, war, and what that has done. But in spite of all of that, their message is always for the hope, hope for return or hope for peace. Um, And I think all those messages, whether you saw it when you were a child and maybe didn't pick up on all of them, it, see how wonderful it is that over your life and then maybe to see it at this time in your life, the meanings of those paintings will have a completely different um, impact, but also how you evolve your understanding of these things. And I think that's the that's the beauty of, of art in general. And I always tell people who tell me I'm not interested in art or it's not my thing. I said, you just haven't found the thing that moves you. My sister, who's one of the closest people to me, would always be bored to death when I take her to some museums that I have of particular artists that I used to like. And we once went to Kadinsky show, the Russian artist Kadinsky, and she was like, now this is art that I like, that I understand. And she was completely, um, you know, thrown by it. And I I said to her, you see, you just hadn't found what you liked. And since then, she has continued to look for things that she has interested and her her eyes and her her mind has opened to a lot of new experiences. So I always tell people at any age and this by the way happened in her mid late late 20s. So at any age you can come into a museum and hopefully you will find something that you'll be interested in that will move you that will excite you and it could take you on a whole new adventure and journey in your life and I think that's what we live for in our I'm kind of of in shock that you said Kandinsky because he's also one of your favorites. (laughs) Blue Mountain. That was just his, his, that work, um, we have to post it somewhere because that work, it was kind of between his impressionism moving into abstraction. Yes, exactly. But that is one of my favorite works. She loved the, she loved the, 
sort of dyn- dynamic yes. um, part of his work. It looked very, there's like a lot of motion exactly. and energy. Very and, kinetic. Yes, and she loved that. And it's, see, everyone finds something that just makes sense to them. Whereas a lot of things probably I saw before were much more solemn and melancholic because that's what I like. So, and just very simple patches of color. And um, like Itel Adnan, for example, I love her work. So people like that, um, you know, er- for me means something and uh, I get excited by it but it doesn't stop me from looking at artists that I per- I look at and think oh I don't particularly like their work but I still go and see it because I think you have to always open yourself to new experiences always because you never know what you're going to to find and you never know how something you think isn't you isn't you or your or what you're interested in will actually link to something else later mm. in life yeah. um and those connections are always fascinating I look back and think Oh, I didn't particularly like this artist or even, I don't know, this archaeological, uh, you know, exhibition. But now 10 years later, I see that actually that's connected to my heritage or my culture. And it's just it's a it's a wonderful, um, I think, um, feeling of, you know, um, uh, it's like an aha moment, I guess. Right. You start to say, oh, my God, these little dots connect somehow. Exactly. Your worlds begin to connect. Yes. Yeah. And And you make more meaning of life. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Spot on. And that is the thing, even if it's not something that you connected uh, throughout your own life. But then, you know, as we visit museums, as we experience this, we're opened up exactly as you said, to whole new worlds Mm -hmm. that we didn't know existed, that we didn't know how they functioned, that we didn't know when you see a, a painting or a piece up close or an artifact it takes you into that world you are now part of that world yeah absolutely and i think you can think about it in so many different levels from an aesthetic point of view is one but even from a technical point of view i mean now i look at things and i'm often curious about how they're made which wasn't the case before i would just look at things oh that looks beautiful oh no that's not very nice for me but now it's always like how did that artist create that or how did that person create this experience i'm fascinated by the the process of thinking and the engineering sometimes yes. to make things it's just unbelievable and like Mona Saudi, for example was an artist we showed she's a jordanian artist who does uh, sculptures made from stone and when i saw videos of how she actually creates them it it's un, it's just fascinating and unbelievable the she literally has chisels and you have to be so perfect that if you just move even a millimeter away you have ruined it i mean you have to be so disciplined and so um and almost you have to see it when it's not even there so she has literally a lump of stone but she sees the sculpture in there and she knows how to make it appear it's it's really unbelievable I love that. And and these are the things that we look for uh, when we go into the museums and the things that we experience and, and learn more about, which are fascinating and inspiring. Yes. And it makes you think that can spark a whole new idea. Yes. And a whole new direction. And appreciation, really, for... And appreciation, yeah. absolutely. I want to, uh, coming up next after the break, uh, Your Excellency, I want you to talk more uh, about the amazing collaboration that we had uh, with Charger Art Museums mm-hmm. and the Vatican. Yes. Uh, so that you may know one another. That is uh, an exhibition that happened 
2014. Yes, correct. Uh, but now, of course, today, this week, we do have yes. uh, the Pope visiting the UAE uh, for the very first time. So it all ties in so perfectly. Uh, it was an exhibition that went to Australia as well, which makes me very excited as an Aussie. Um, but there's so much to talk about. How do you make museums more accessible to young mm. people? Uh, and what makes a great museum experience. We have a lot to talk about with Her Excellency Manal Ataya from Sharjah Museums Authority on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse95. Yes, we are back with Her Excellency Manal Ataya, the Director General of Sharjah Museums Authority. Now, uh, this verse from the Quran became uh, the name of one of the exhibitions that uh, not only happened uh, at Sharjah Museums in 2014, but was taken all over the world and has so much meaning today. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. O humankind, indeed, we have created you from a male and a female and made you into nations and tribes that you may know one another. Indeed, the most noble of you in the sight of Allah is the most righteous of you. Indeed, Allah is all-knowing and acquainted. Um, Your Excellency, tell us about this particular exhibition, which was a collaboration, in fact, with the Vatican. It was a unique, unprecedented exhibition from the Vatican featuring artifacts and material culture of Muslim communities the world over that happened in 2014. Yes. Amazing. Well, I, yes, I have to admit it was a really um, unbelievable exhibition to work on because definitely there is a, I guess, um, there was a misunderstanding or miseducation. When I remember we, we talked about it initially, people said, you mean there's Muslim material culture in the Vatican? Are you sure? Maybe it's Christian. I said, no, it's Muslim material culture. That's correct. Um, because people didn't understand why the Vatican would have Muslim material culture. And I think that was why we said we need to bring this exhibition because we want to highlight that different um, places in the world and different um, religions in the world have always, um, you know, appreciated and uh, gave value to to uh, material culture of other religions as well. And that is what we should strive for. So where extremism has caused people to destroy material culture of our own or others, this is absolutely wrong. And it is a human rights violation, in my opinion. So for us, it's always important to say human culture, every material culture of any culture or religion is, in essence, for mankind. It's for humankind. So we all should believe it or see it as world culture and world heritage that we should all protect together. And I think this exhibition was really special because the, the Vatican Museums had, um, in 500 years since it was um, created, this particular museum, um, they had never shown this material before and we were able to bring it for the first time and show it for the first time in their history in a Muslim country. So it's a lot of firsts and a lot of uniques for this exhibition. Um, and what was special about it too was that um, 
we, because of that, we had to work together to select the items, but also to conserve them. So there was a lot of work to um, take care of items that, and why we say that is because people might not know this, but the Vatican does have over 40,000 objects, which is a lot of objects. So you can imagine a lot of them um, are, are still needing to be catalogued, archived, etc. So this was a really special uh, project to find, you know, a number of beautiful items, bring them to Sharjah and talk about this wonderful relationship between um, the Vatican and um, the Muslim world, but also how, at the time, um, why it was even collected, people asked. Well, Pope uh, Pio of um, in 1925, he um, wanted to put on an exhibition. He wanted, um, he was very interested in letting people know that the Catholicism and the Catholic Church were um, open and they were uh, respectful of other cultures because they were all over the world at that time. So um, many people donated items to this exhibition, which ran for a year, and over a million people saw this. And it had a huge impact. And um, thankfully, because of that, and then later some people who donated, either private collectors and other people who had worked in, uh, you know, in Shanghai, in the, in a, um, in a religious capacity um, or at an embassy, etc., they would send over things that they collected as, you know, things that they thought was interesting from that culture. And then the collection grew. So we were lucky to bring about 70 objects uh, to Sharjah. And we did that on the occasion of Sharjah being um, given the accolade of uh, uh, capital of Islamic culture in 2014, um, which was really special. And I think that also highlights the fact that for such a special occasion, we chose to work again with with the Vatican. I think it was it was something that we were really blessed that His Highness had great relations with them already, including uh, relationships with them through their libraries and their archives. And because of that, and through those discussions, they said, you know, we actually have some material culture from the Muslim world. And he said, that's amazing. We would we would love to have an Sharjah if you would like to bring it. And they said, really? And he said, yes. And that's how it all started. And then I got a call saying, you need to go to the Vatican. <laughs> and I thought, really? Why? And he said, there's there's all this wonderful material there. And it was a shock to me because nobody knew about it um, up until that point. So it was a very special exhibition. We ran it for three months. Um, it did really well. And we had a lot of interest from other countries. And as you said um, earlier, uh, before the break, we were lucky then to bring it to Australia um, two years later, um, showing it last year in Canberra. And we hope to take it to another maybe two locations probably another European uh, city and perhaps even a city in China. This is just amazing. It's really amazing because there is a number n- number of things here. Uh, obviously, these are collections that uh, were unknown yes. uh, before this. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, it just goes to show the cultural exchange that happens because um, a lot of people think the Muslim world is here. Yes. Uh, in, in the Middle East, in the Arab world, uh, and kind of completely forget about the fact that the Muslim world exists everywhere yes. and cultures and religions exist exactly. everywhere. Exactly, which is why having objects um, from as far as you know, Spain, Sicily, West Africa, Indonesia, China was so important because it showed that it is, it's a lot more um, 
expansive than people think, but also how interesting it is to see that these um, material cultures that were um, that we showcase, so for example, ethnographic items, whether they're um, you know a saddle or shoes or um, a pot, uh, a ceramic bowl, all of these things um, in many cases were not produced in areas that were had any political conquest um, you know islamic conquest per se these were one, these were generated in countries where it was b- completely based on trade and mixing with one another through trade so um, trade would go through to different parts of asia and up into china people would settle people would learn to speak what was the most common language which was arabic in many cases and then that's what would start to uh, proliferate into those communities. People would start to convert, and you'd have small, you know, uh, Islamic communities in China and smaller ones in Indonesia, and then in Mindanao and Philippines, for example. And then they grew and grew over time. Um, but these were never places that you know the Ottoman Empire went to. This this is completely based on people moving and migration, which is a always such an interesting topic for me, and one that we we're doing now with a current exhibition in the Islamic Museum about how the movement of people has always been the greatest thing that could happen in in um, on earth because when people move from one place to another there's so much great positive impact that has from you know transferring knowledge transferring um, techniques and technology from learning about one another and um, becoming um, more um, understanding and we, we talk about empathy and um, and also um, just finding um, a way to create new things and um, and evolve as well. Um, if we all were separated by borders and no one ever crossed over, I think we wouldn't have a very interesting um, life right now. So it's so important to know that migrations, people bringing food, culture, music, technology, uh, language, all kinds of things have great impacts on the communities communities that they bring them to and how people use them, adapt them, take parts of them, modify, you know, um, etc. And I think it's it's a really beautiful thing to see that. And in the objects that we showed, um, you can see such beautiful sometimes um, um, it, sort of uh, interconnectedness of two different cultures um, and others where something that was um, produced in one country became something that moved to another. Give us like a, a couple of examples. So, for example, yeah. like in terms of migration, like one of the objects we had was the lute. So, the lute is a is a type of um, um, instrument um, which is still used today, five thousand years later. But um, the one that we had was um, created in Morocco. And what's wonderful about the lute is that although it was produced in Morocco and was m- mostly um, predominantly used in the, sort of the Arab world and in um, in North Africa, it became it moved through to southern Spain and then Sicily and then to Europe and became one of the most um, used instruments in um, in the Middle Ages in Europe. And so a lot of people who know the lute, and if you ever watch movies and you hear this sort of interesting sound, which is always used in movies like that, it's actually a lute. People think it's a European instrument, but actually it's not. Um, So this is how music and instruments moved to different countries and became used um, and adapted into the musical repertoire of other cultures, which is really fascinating. What was the the response? Uh, I want to ask you about the response in Australia to this exhibition. Well, see, for Australia, for example, they were really interested in bringing it for a number of reasons. But one of them they said was that, you know, in in Australia, for example, um, I'm not sure exactly the numbers, but I know that 
even though the percentage of Australians in in Australia is relatively small, it is growing quite a lot. So in five years, it like grew like 15 or 20 percent, which is huge. So they were interested to to sort of um, find a way to reach that an, an audience that they don't normally reach, mm. um, but that's growing and that's relevant and important to them. But also because of general uh, misinformation, miseducation, and the media's um, unfortunate um, focus on extremism and um, you know a lot of news that is inaccurate, or let's say tells one s- small part of a story of a whole civilization and peoples, um, has made people fear um, Islam yeah. and fear Muslim communities, or at least regard them with a bit of um, you know suspect, and they're unsure, and they think that maybe they don't. Um, they don't belong here um, and maybe they don't they won't ever really be part of this country and all these sort of like um, racist undertones I think are, are ones that they were concerned with which is really wonderful at, that you know other countries who really need to work on this aren't at the moment but they were very sensitive to this and they said we want to sort of deal with this now before it gets worse um, because there are a lot of forces out there that are pushing um, a really terrible agenda out there and a lot of people are susceptible to it so it's important to continue to educate people and to continue to fight those forces with knowledge with experience and one of the things they did of course is have a lot of programs not uh, alongside sorry the exhibition where people got to meet the muslim community and they got to you know uh, talk to them and um, have um, discussions and dialogue and that's really important to for people to break down some of their stereotypes or and misinformation that they have and that's what we need basically absolutely it's it couldn't be better timing so congratulations on doing that thank because you that was amazing uh watching it from here i wasn't there but i just i felt incredibly proud um at that moment uh, to see that happening uh, at the australian national museum but and it just goes to show that's why the the exhibition is called so that you may know one another. Yes. and it's I, essential. Absolutely. And I think one thing to really focus when you mentioned that ayah earlier, two things. That beginning of that ayah starts with ayuhad nas, and that's very important, which is uh, human, uh, all kind or all, uh, all, all peoples. Kind. Yes. It's not directed to Muslims or any. It says everyone. So it is a message for everyone. And um, two, the word that is used in that verse also is not that we created men and women and tribes so that you will tolerate one another. The word is to get to know one another. So there's a big difference between using the word tasamah and the word ta'arif. And I think that's also important because tolerance, as much as I know it's used in a positive sense, the the, uh, origins of the word uh, come from being able to tolerate something because it bothers you or it has a a bit of a... um, it's uh, you know you 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 tolerate uh, bad weather or you tolerate mosquitoes <laughs> you know at night um, when you you're do sleeping. The bare minimum. Yes, but uh, getting to know um, or you know appreciating or even in the best sense celebrating is the best is the where is where you hope to reach. These are ways in which you're doing more than just saying okay I 
I understand the person next to me is a different culture, a different religion. I, you know, I'll let them do what they want and I'll do what I want. And that's that's tolerance. That's not that's not tolerance for me. To, you know, tolerance should be more than that. It should be the part that we mentioned, getting to know one another, accepting and understanding one another and having this empathy for one another to realize that, you know, we all have maybe different views on things. But there's a lot at the end of the day, there's a lot that we have in common that outweighs what divides us. And I think that's the main thing. And you won't know that unless you talk to people and you sit with them and you get to know them and you, um, you know, enjoy things that they do. I mean, for example, I'm taking my family out this weekend for Chinese New Year. We're not Chinese. We never lived in China. But I thought, this is wonderful. Why not take part in something that you know, a, a couple billion people are taking part of in the world, you know, get to try some of the food, get to understand some of the customs that people do in, Chi- in Chinese New Year. It's wonderful. So and maybe learn a few words, you know, um, this is getting to know people and meet people because we'll meet a lot of um, people there who will be Chinese. And it'll be a nice chance to have a bit of a cultural exchange. It's wonderful. I love it so much. Uh, but just in the last few minutes, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, efforts to make museums more accessible to young people who are living out in rural areas. This is a wonderful program, Museums Express. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So this this initiative was one that I've actually dreamt about for about four years. And then two years ago, I started to put it in motion. Um I had always believed, um, because we started our initiative of Museums Accessible for All a a few years ago, and the accessibility aspect of it was very, um, um, sort of, let's say the three prongs were accessibility physically, accessibility intellectually, and accessibility financially. Those are really three important things. So people should be able to come to museums either for free or for very low cost. Two, people should be able to come intellectually that they can understand what they're looking at to a certain extent and that they're not going to go somewhere and feel like, oh my God, I'm intimidated because I don't understand the labels. I don't understand what the person has written in the introduction. It needs to be written for people who can really understand it or have people like guides, etc., who can explain and tell stories about the objects. And three, um, we mentioned the physical access, which is making sure that all people with special needs and disabilities are able to come into the museum and take part as much as anyone else. So those were really important to us. And having uh, said that about accessibility, one thing that came, I was thinking about, who else are we missing out on? And I thought, you know what, besides missing out on people abroad, uh, which is perhaps maybe the, the next initiative, which is a virtual museum um, that people can access, you know, at collections online. Um, right now, I thought, what about all these students and young people and communities who live outside of city centers? And they're not just in Sharjah, they're in all other Emirates, you know, in the UAE. Um, they don't get to come to museums because it takes them an hour, two hours or longer each way to come to the city center. So that's a lot to ask for a lot of people and for schools to logistically get that many children on a bus for that long. So and we did speak to them. They said, yes, it's just we're not allowed to do it. And of course, we can't have kids on the bus that long. It's dangerous. It costs money for the petrol, etc. So I said, you know what, we'll just bring it to you. I won't accept that they won't be able to experience this. So I decided to look at how we could do that. And the idea was, okay, let's have this maybe mobile bus that would bring collections to the students. But then I had to think a little bit more about, well, what kind of collections? We have so many we mentioned earlier. What could they be? And then we decided that it would be collections that I felt that I felt that could best bring out the creative aspect of students. So creativity, 
creative thinking and innovation, which I think ties into, of course, the UAE strategy for innovation, I think was key to get students and schools to believe in this project. And so far, it's been really successful. Kids have, for the first time, seen a lot of the objects. They've never seen them before. Many students, we asked them, have you been to a museum before? Out of a class of 20, only one said yes. And so this was so special that I said, wow, finally, they're getting to see this. And that now that they've seen it, they're like, we want to come. We're going to bring our families. We're going to encourage them to let us come a little bit more often. And they're actually doing workshops as well. So it's not just looking at the objects, but to actually have a hands-on workshop on different aspects, but mainly art workshops, which has been really helpful. And um, I think it gives the experience, you know, something a bit more tangible as well for the students than just, just looking. But they get to hear about the objects from a wonderful guide, and then they get to um, have the workshop as well. It's just, it's phenomenal. You know, congratulations. Thank you. You're making it. Uh, available to everybody which is just wonderful this is what we want to see but we've run out of time yes that's uh, <laughs> well, it was wonderful to be here and um, share this with you but I do hope you can all uh, you know check out our social media handles Sharjah Museums on Twitter on um, Instagram, Instagram as well Facebook. and you'll find out a lot a lot about what's going on our programs our website as well is always up to date with our community programs and exhibitions is it, uh, how did they get to it sharjahmuseums.org I believe dot AE dot AE yes okay sharjahmuseums.ae yes. you can find all of the museums there yes and exactly. what's going how on how to get there and all that's going on and um, there's a lot happening with the Sharjah Biennial opening yay for Sharjah Art Biennial they're working really hard and they'll be opening on uh, March 9th we're going to have to have you back. Yes, I to hope talk so. about it. <laughs> really, because we didn't get to it today. But just incredible things to come yes. from Sharjah Museums. Always. Your Excellency Manal Ataya, what an absolute pleasure. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you so much for joining us here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. And that's it for us today. Join us again tomorrow for another great show. If you missed this conversation with Her Excellency, it will be up. The podcast will be up. And you can listen back to that. So much going on. We are so so, so proud of it here at Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.